CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Good. Starting my new recording. Okay, great. All right. I think we can get going here. Cool. Um, Awesome. Well, welcome everybody to another exciting episode of the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience for, in this case, Friday, May 14th, 2021. Um, today we have some special guests. We've got Greg and we've got Nigel. Um, this conversation kind of, I guess, oh, and I guess I'll introduce myself and Brian too. So, so I am, I am Chris Messina, um, a man of the Twitterverse um, and product designer, uh, Etc. And of course, Brian is my my co-host who actually does the daily Tech Meme Ride Home show. Um, today's conversation stems out of a lot of what we've been talking about around the creator economy, um, the I suppose the passion economy, and how money is starting to be introduced into this space. And in particular, um, I believe it was last week we started the show really talking about some high-level launches and a recent acquisition by Twitter of a company called Scroll and how this fits into a larger shift in the industry, or at least I believe it is a larger uh, shift, um, towards more direct relationships between the, I guess, the people who consume content and the people who produce it, as opposed to being intermediated by advertisers who are sort of going along for the ride like barnacles um, on content and taking advantage of that um, that attention resource. So I tweeted something out about this um, in relationship to a Axios piece. Um, and, and so Axios, um, I'll have to find that tweet and pin it, um, basically sort of did a little bit of a chart looking at a number of the different platform features that people have put out there. And then Greg came along and kind of touched it up and then did a nice little thread that went deeper into the space and asked some questions about tipping, which then started a conversation. And so given that we wanted to actually open this conversation up um, to, uh, to, to a Twitter space and to go a little bit deeper into where we think this might go and um, what this might do to social media, um, monetization, et cetera. So how's it to start? Uh, good for me. Um, I, I'm going to let you guys take it right now from here, uh, and then I'll I'll pop in. Great, um, Greg. Do you want to just kind of like jump in and kind of maybe summarize a bit about what you were seeing and what you kind of put together in that chart? And uh, while you're doing that, I will go find that chart and I will pin it. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm Greg. I'm uh, I've been in you know sort of a creator influencer space for some time now. And uh, one, I took a deep dive just sort of on one column, I think, out of what um, we, we started to look at, just to see that tipping was, I saw tipping was sort of the most pervasive feature across um, sort of the universe of uh, creator monetization things. What I tried to look at, it was sort of, and try to show is really that, you know, tipping is not, um, not all tipping is created equally, I guess. Um, and there's a, there's a few factors, uh, one, two, three, four, I guess like five kind of 
uh, you know, approaches or, or layers that I wanted to look at here. Um, most important to me was just really the fee um, and really examining like who's charging what or who's taking what. And I think the broader trend or the newer trend, if you look at the sort of more recent entrance into this space, is actually that tipping is um, functioning as sort of a pass-through now um, where they're not participating necessarily or um, it's very low transactional fees. So, uh, for example, like Clubhouse... Um, is doing zero percent fee, but they, you know, they use Stripe, so you only pay the processing fees, basically, right? Can um, I can I yeah. interrupt real quick because uh, you're, you're you're jumping way ahead of what I want to talk about. Okay. So you're you're talking about already this is happening, but can we go back for a second and 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 poke at why this is happening? Like because again. You know, some of us are so old that we remember when no one would pay for anything on the internet, much less you would pay for content on the internet. My understanding of it has been that if this has sort of been a thing that has been culturated over the last decade or so, mainly from things like, um, you know, uh, gamers on Twitch and things like that, and the tipping of, of people is... It, Basically, what I'm asking is, why is tipping suddenly working, and and where did it come from, and how did we get to here now? Before we even get into where it's going in in the future. Sure, I'd actually defer to Nigel as someone who's built a uh, tipping <laughs> platform and uh, might have the best insights into sort of the, the earlier parts of the trend. Yeah, and also let me let me introduce Nigel because I think this is a very interesting kind of uh, segue. So Nigel has, has built a, a platform called, I guess, Coffee, um, Kofi, another way to say it, I suppose, um, ko-fi.com. And through his platform, which is a very, I would say, um, Subtle is not the right word, but it's understated. It's a very understated service. It's been like kind of like in the background for quite some time. And it's actually been the platform that I have used for several years to collect tips, um, f- roughly related to all the product hunts that I do. You know, it's sort of like, I was just like, okay, maybe there's a way for me to make a little bit of money off of, off of that. Not as not pay for play, but just to receive some sort of positive you know, affirmation, I suppose. And it's turned out to be, you know, a couple thousand bucks, like over several years. It's not paying my rent, but it's, it's been nice to have that relative to what I've seen elsewhere. So there is kind of a direct, I guess, uh, I don't know, dawning of, oh, this is happening. That has happened to me as well. Not because I seriously pursued it or even thought that I'd really make any money off of it, but that these platforms became available and made it possible for people to actually do and engage in peer-to-peer tipping. And so that's, that's actually how I got to know Nigel. Um, and so I just wanted to have that context uh, as he introduces himself and his service and kind of like what he's learned uh, about all this. Yeah, uh, thanks a lot for that, Chris. Um, yeah, if, if, if I might go back to the, the founding story, if, if I may, it might give a bit more yeah, context. Please. Um, um, Brian, you said like over the last decade, um, tipping seems to have been growing from somewhere, which is quite interesting because it's, it's almost exactly 10 years ago um, since since um, I started the website. Uh, around that time, I was a, a freelance software developer. And I was like struggling on one specific problem. We were working on a project um, along, along with my friend. And we came across something on, on Stack Overflow. And it literally saved us weeks and weeks of work. And we just copy-pasted from, from Stack Overflow, pasted it into the code base. And wow, we just saved a ton of time. Um, the only thing we could do was click like, or I guess it's upvote on, on Stack Overflow. 
and it just felt so impersonal and, and not very human and, and not really a nice enough way of appreciating this person. Um, so I was talking to my friend and we decided uh, over the weekend that I would build something that we could kind of, what would be the ideal thing to do there? Like what we would often do ourselves is we'd buy each other a beer or buy each other a cup of coffee or something like that. Um, so we decided to knock this prototype together um, that he, that this this um, person online could theoretically use. And, and that's what we did. And that's how coffee started, I, I guess. Um, the the metaphor was around coffees at that time. So like, if I like what you're doing, I, I, can, I can buy you a coffee. That I got to say, again, not to be old man here, but like there's a long history of that going back to shareware uh, in the 70s and 80s where literally you're like, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this software out for free, but if you want to buy me literally a cup of coffee, that's what people used sure. to say. And, and, and people used to send people checks, paper checks in the mail. <laughs> like, but it was still that idea of just buy me a cup of coffee. It's not, it's not I mean, that also big it's a like deal. We had this in the shareware days too, like a long, long time ago. You know? So there, there have been sure. you know, P2P type payments. It's just this is on a different scale. But maybe the, sure. the the functional part, though, I think, is also it's gotten easier to send money, right? And and we've normalized very micro and small payments since app stores have been around and things well, like that. I think that. Nig so, Nigel can speak to that, right? Because I think like there's also a question of like, is this? I don't want to say like charity, but like where does this fit into the overall scheme of monetization of income? You know, taxability, like, and uh, the the coffee platform itself actually it doesn't take any fees. So and yet, I don't know if, if I don't know if Nigel will share any of the numbers or, or sort of rough estimates of, of what he's seeing on the platform. But what I've learned is that it's quite significant. Sure. Uh, just back to, to Brian's point there. Yeah. People were already doing this kind of thing with uh, PayPal buttons, like direct to PayPal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it felt very transactional still. Didn't feel very, very nice. So what we added was a few extra features where you could leave a message and uh, we kind of wrapped that, that up to start with. That's, that's how it kind of started there. So yeah, there, there were these kind of very transactional feelings. You say like write a check or something. That didn't feel like the the kind of thing I would have wanted to do for this um, for this person online. Like send him a check in post for three dollars or something. Um, but um, uh, yes, uh, sorry, Chris. What was your um, your, your main well, question? Well, I, I guess one of the things that I think would be just really helpful would be your perspective on what has changed in the last ten years. Like, what does the momentum look like? And given where you started from. Uh, with again very humble yeah. origin to sort of like you know pass over you know you want to buy me a coffee you want to buy me a beer that kind of thing to kind of like yeah. what you've seen in your own business up until now. Yeah, yeah, I, I think there's been a, a huge shift in attitude towards um, sending small payments as well, um, and actually just sending someone money online. I think um, I remember when I first started and the, the first few comments on Twitter and things like that, and people used to used to reply to users of the site saying, oh, like, why, are you, why are you begging for money or something like that um, right in the very early days? And I very, very rarely see that now. now. I, I can't even remember the last time I saw something like that. Um, so attitudes are, definite, are definitely changing. I think, like you said, with um, micropayments as well and um, you know, you, people sending $3 here. Do you have a sense that it's generational? Is it attitudes? Is it availability? Because I totally remember when, you know, and I, I, like, again, I feel like I'm of that transitional generation where I thought that by setting up this kind of tip me, you know, jar or, bu or button or whatever, it would seem, if not a little desperate, kind of like, 
you know, we just kind of, we're building the web together. So we're all yeah, contributing. Yeah. Right. And then I guess what I saw happening was there was like this rise in the influencer class that was especially on media platforms where they expected to make money and they were making a lot of money. And I think Instagram, at least in, in my perspective, changed all of it. Suddenly you'd had people over there charging $5,000, you know, f- for a photo that they were posting. Whereas like those of us who had sort of grown up on the open web were like, wait, what? Like, that's you're totally being corrupted or, or, you know, old man, get off my lawn kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I do think it is uh, a large amount of our user base is, is definitely millennial and, and younger. Um, and it just seems to be that, that it's, it's almost become normal now that um, I've got something to offer. You like my work. Um, send me a tip if you appreciate it. I think it's almost to the point where we, we started with this metaphor of buying a coffee because we were kind of like, um, cause it, it takes off Mickey. The, the, the sort of commercial aspect, right? Like it's sort of like, well, like, what are you going to do on the, on the digital digital space? Whereas like before you could literally like, you know, take someone out, buy them a coffee, buy them a beer, like, Hey, I like your work or I like your contributions or thanks for doing this for me or something. Whereas, you know, if you're never going to meet this person, then how do you engage in this type of appreciation without also cheapening what they did in the first place? Sure, sure. We don't want to say, oh, we think that the thing you've put out there is worth $3. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, uh, it doesn't make sense. So we kind of like um, use this metaphor to kind of almost um, uh, soften that uh, and make it more personal at the same time, make it more human at the same time. It, well, actually- almost, forgive me, it, it's almost British. Sure. It's yeah. almost like it's yeah. almost yeah, like we're, 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 we're embarrassed to put a price on it. <laughs> we're embarrassed to say that we put it. I, I want you to value what I'm doing. So let's use this ridiculous yeah. metaphor of the coffee things. That oh, it's just yeah. it's nothing. It's a tip of the hat, you know. Yeah, I would agree with that. And we have a funny relationship with tipping. I think in general we we find tipping quite awkward. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Um, so what, what, what I was going to say is what we're seeing is kind of, we don't actually need to be that apologetic over it. Um, especially in the last couple of years, we've kind of come away a little bit from, from that concept and, um, you know, tipping online is just a, just a thing now. Well, and actually, uh, uh, Gregarious, I, or Greg, I, I don't remember what, uh, Chris said at the beginning that Greg we should... Side. Either side. Greg, Greg, awesome, <laughs> awesome, Greg. So essentially, I'm I'm looking at your 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 tweet thread right now, and and the the beginning of it is that essentially is this right that social tipping is the most prevalent capability in terms of what people are offering on these social media platforms? Does that also carry over to that's the most common way that people are monetizing? What do you know about well, the data? I guess. Do you mean by um, by dollar amount? Well, so um, Axios uh, reported the convergence of creator monetization showing that social tipping is the most prevalent capability so that like I'm looking at tipping and and Snapchat doesn't have it, Substack doesn't have it yet, LinkedIn, Pinterest, but everybody else has it, right? So this is the most prevalent way that right now these platforms, if everybody is in the game of we want creators to make money, maybe this is just the easiest, lowest friction, lowest fruit the low-hanging fruit way to do that. Um, do we know if this is the most successful way that creators are getting paid right now? Probably not. Uh, and it's, it's sort of anecdotal, I guess, because the subscriptions tend to be at a much higher um, uh, earn rate, right? So I think like, like you look at Twitch last year, they captured 
$2 billion in subscription revenue for their fans, but they keep 50%, right? Um, so, you know, that's still a billion dollars that was collected through Twitch. Um, now, the equivalent for Twitch is going to be like sending bits, right? And you're sending hundreds or thousands of bits at a time, and, and there's basically like a 40% fee uh, on the bits. So it's almost a similar um, take rate. I didn't see any specific data on how many dollars were exchanged from bits, but like I believe subscriptions is like 80% of Twitch's revenue, for example. That um, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. OnlyFans, for example, also, which is another, you know, yep. standout leader. Um, I, I've seen different reports here, but I've seen $2 billion or $2.7 billion captured last year. Um, now, that's a much bigger mix because there's a lot of bespoke content and there's also subscriptions, but um, tipping is also built into that universe. But my guess is it's still not the predominant thing. The thing I will say, though, for creators is tipping is great because you don't ask. Right. Um, and if you talk to most creators, they're usually highly hesitant mm. to ask for money at all. Right. Um, you got to like beat them over the head to sort of make them get to the point, you know. And now the smart ones that realize that you're doing this and they cost things, it's a business, they're building it, they need to grow it. Um, I, you know, as I point out sort of in the thread, should ultimately look at tipping as like, as like as a heat map for the most engaged fans and potentially look at that as a lead gen into subscription revenue, which is more like reliable, it's recurring, uh, it tends to be for a larger dollar amount. Right. Um, so that would be right. sort of like how I see it um, in, in general. So, so let me jump in here real quick. So, um, uh, you guys can take a look at the the pinned tweets to sort of see the thread that we're talking about because I want to go into some of the things that uh, Greg actually talked about in that thread. Um, I also just want to let folks know we will be opening it up to uh, more more folks to join the conversation probably in about 10 or 15 minutes. I'd like to just kind of like get this group to touch on some of the high level stuff and then we can go a little bit deeper. So just setting that. Um, <clears throat> So one of the things like that you just brought up, and I guess I would I would maybe point out a couple things. One that I think is interesting is that these other platforms that let's say haven't had a huge advertiser base have moved towards subscription and direct monetization, perhaps as a necessity or because that's where their market you know happened to be. Right. In other words, they needed a way to monetize, and fans were willing to you know subscribe for direct access because they weren't going to be able to build an advertising business to compete with Facebook or Google. So it was sort of necessary. Um, the thing that I'm curious about, and this is something Greg asked you about, and also this is something that I think came up in our last Twitter space, was about the behavioral change that may result from this. And of course, it's it's a big unknown, um, but there are several platforms that do work off of direct monetization or tips. Um, there are, for example, bug bounty programs and things along those lines where, you know, there's, I guess, sort of, you know... Uh, it's not necessarily a tip jar that's sort of put out there, then money is gathered into a set of outcomes, or you could even call them kind of like dumb smart contracts. But I guess what I'm curious about, especially in the context of Twitter and a social media platform like this, is whether or not people will start to change their behavior as a result of these incentives being introduced. And whether, as you said, Greg, like people will start to think, you know, at the end of a broadcast or the end of a, a space or whatever it might be, that they start to ask for or expect a kind of, you know, monetary reward. I think we're in the early innings where it still feels really uncomfortable to do that. But I, I guess, you know, given your analysis and looking into this, you know, what do you see in terms of some of the, the behavioral norms and conversational norms about tipping as a behavior? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we touched on this a little bit in the thread, Chris, yeah. um, but I think, so th there seems to be a few modalities like where the tipping is sort of <laughs> or, or, or pattern design patterns here, I guess, right. <laughs> in, in play, some people never mention it whatsoever. <laughs> right. Um, now I think 
that may change if they real and it, again it's a, just sort of a size factor here right like because you know um, if you have ten thousand live viewers and and by the way like half the platforms only support tipping when you're live um, right so um, so you have to be live but I, I think like we have seen people um, there are like for example like in Twitch you can spend points or bits as a way to vote or to drive action so sometimes you might push a poll out. And then you use points or they do like prediction polls where you can bet kind of, you know, currency almost inside that environment. So I do think like there's going to be some aspect of, um, you know, even super chats, for example, is kind of a, a pointer to this behavior that I think that you're, you're anticipating, yeah. like where a super chat helps move your message to higher visibility. Right. And, we, and one of the questions you did ask was like, does this manifest in the platform side? Right. Yeah. Um, and I do think so, because what happens as in all things is platforms observe you know, how much I'd say the hashtag, uh, what the users do, right? And then they adopt them, yep. right? Um, and so I believe like some of this behavior that we do see, um, I've seen live polls like on screen where people look at things, maybe you'll have uh, bonus points or double counts, you know, on things that come from people who've tipped, um, you know, Right. You look at Streamlabs, which can monitor and watch the live chat feed and also see like this behavior and potentially like reward it. I think it's inevitable that it'll have more of a role. However, I personally don't feel like people will become performative per se, right? Like I think, um, like I think, like crowd-based performance versus like like individualized performance. Like I'm listening to one person only in sort of that room. So I think it's more of a, a zeitgeist sort of capability than it would be like an individuated one. You know, I, I guess like the other thing that that when I start to think about long term, there are some interesting dynamics that can also emerge. So, for example. Um, I don't have the tipping feature yet on Twitter, but eventually, you know, let's say everyone, it rolls out to everyone. You could imagine that your top fans actually get top billing in your, your follower list as being the top tippers. And you can start to then see, you know, kind of the, the relationships emerging for those who choose to, let's say, promote those, those relationships. Um, in a very interesting way. And I guess I say this because of the other area that I've experienced some monetization, and I don't want to go down this path too heavily, but uh, because I've participated in some conversations about NFTs and I've both bought and sold NFTs, there are now a number of NFT artists that will reach out to me because now they know that I am someone who is willing or able to spend money on NFTs. And given that, well, then they're like, well, you must have some money to spend on me, right? And I'm like, uh, that's not exactly how that works for me. So I guess what I'm, what I'm curious about is the nature of the, let's say, kind of like real relationship where there's a kind of like, I see you, you see me, and like we support one another in the work that we're doing. I mean, like I said, when people tip me through coffee, um, that's typically as a result of me having hunted them. So it's sort of an after the fact thing. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a gratuity largely. Right. And I don't really pay that much attention to it because it's just sort of like, Oh, it's, it's nice that that happens, but I'm not working for that tip. But when it comes to other people who are looking to participate in this new economy, then they're going to be looking for those people who are tippers. And so I, I guess I wonder if there will be more yeah, like the whales, this. right? Yeah. yeah exactly. Like, right. Right. <laughs> I, I when you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. 
That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Octa-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? That's easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media posting, and even events management. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contact's best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. I use this, and you should too. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contact's expert live customer support. Plus, everything's backed by their 30-day money-back guarantee. So, get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. I do think one of the distinctions, though, that's happening or sort of this transition and part of what we're seeing is why you don't need advertising, per se, is we're moving from audience to sort of community. And this is like one of the distinctions, for example, that exists in like a, a Twitch where those set of people are kind of almost cohesive versus your followers are right. kind of like a bunch of randos, right? right? Like, right. Um, And the feature you're even describing adds another layer of, co- of cohesiveness kind of to the people who are engaging with you, which is just beyond a counter or, you know, a list of all the people on a, on discrete objects as opposed to connected across objects. Can I, can I ask, uh, this is maybe related to exactly what we're talking about or, or different, but like, um, the, the tipping that I'm, I'm most familiar with is like, you know, watching my daughter watch her favorite people on YouTube or Twitch where it's like the bell, you hear ding, ding, ding. And, and then the, right. the person playing the game says, Oh, thank you for the tip. Right. Like you the know, shout out. Right. Exactly. So, but that that means, or I, I'm, I'm presupposing that that means that it's there's very low friction. It's like it's that low level, like sort of you know, literally throwing a coin into the hat uh, for the busker, right? Yeah, right. Um, so I'm curious. The low friction is that what we need? Is that what is happening right now? Or what, what you guys were just talking about, which is so interesting to me, is this leveling up idea. Where like you're paying for different tiers and things like that. I, I, in fact, now I, I realize I don't have a question, but I like it's it's almost like what 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 is what is the more interesting thing to either one of you that are thinking about this right now? Like the the low friction thing, where like let's say I put five dollars in a month. It's almost like um, that thing that got bought by uh, Twitter last last week. Um, you know, you, you pay. 
scroll. You yeah. pay $5 a month and it gets doled out based on your attention or the idea that we're already willing to pay. So then we're willing to pay more to like level up in like sort of the game scenario. It just, you know, it seems like adding currency to interactions is a way of amplifying the signal. And that's kind of what I was saying before, where, you know, if I get a bunch of likes on a post and it goes viral, you know, or for anybody who gets, you know, and, and this is not me at all, you know, thousands of likes on a post or hundreds of retweets, none of those things are, are that meaningful. But if someone, you know, puts a little currency on that like, then I'm more likely to see that. And especially if I see that person's interaction with my content over time, I start to build kind of like this quasi awareness, which then leads to a parasympathetic relationship that kind of extends and evolves, I think, over, over the space of, of time. And so I, I do think that there will be different ways for these platforms to dole out aggregated value, you know, it's money, it's subscriptions, it's whatever. And so, you know, I, I guess like I am trying to create and this is why I thought um, Greg's diagram was very useful and very timely was because there's going to be a bunch of those charts that need to be made about the different platforms and the different monetization opportunities that they afford and the types of relationships that they're building for. Because I think it's a mistake for us to only look at like the feature set and the functionality and not to look at the social dynamics that are in play. And that makes sense in those environments. Right. For, for sure. Yeah. And, and by the way, if you look at uh, the, on the thread, it's number six, but I list out like um, five or six like use cases for tips, right? And like appreciation, insights, interactions, purchases, campaigns, and community. Yep. Two of those, which I would argue are probably two of the bit more useful, more utilized ones, like appreciation and community, yep. are not performative per se, but they're part of belonging yep. to a thing, yep. right? Yep. More so than they are like, can you do something and then I'll give you some money? Totally. Totally. And so I just, I like, I think we have to pay attention to this because it's going to change some of these dynamics. It's also going to be potentially harder for some folks to do the cold start thing, right? Like it's bad enough to start on, you know, Instagram today and start to, you know, to try to build any kind of following whatsoever. And so those, you know, who have been on Twitter for some time or already have that audience, they will probably do quite well with tipping relative to anybody who starts new. And that is another dynamic. I think that also needs to be considered in this space, because I guess I've, I've noticed also that there's this when I've seen some complaints, let's say, about the different design of features, let's say the design of Clubhouse, um, there is this centering on you know one's own experience as opposed to imagining how does this feel or how does this work for someone who is just joining the platform or just getting started you know, today. And I think a lot of these platforms that need growth to continue to, f- like you know one, justify any kind of stock price or stock growth are going to need to be thinking about how the next generation comes to their platform and what norms and expectations they have. Because if they don't support some of those things as a baseline, then those folks are just never going to even bother. Because it's like, why would they? It's like, you're you're repressing my ability to express myself. And one of the ways that I express myself is through financial or fiscal speech. Uh, Greg, I got one more for you real quick, sure. because I think this is what you were starting to get to at the beginning before I cut you off. Um, the idea of the the take rate, because I'm looking at number seven on your tweet storm. And like, um, you know, TikTok GIFs is taking 50%, Twitch is taking 40%, uh, YouTube takes 30%. And, and you know, obviously, we, we're talking about this all the time now, the, the 70-30 thing. And, and we know that some of these newfangled platforms, like, for example, um, uh, uh, Substack is only doing 10%. Now, you can argue around the edges about, like, different markets, different sort of mediums. 
um, require a different sort of agency model. Um, but I'm curious what you think about these platforms are, uh, everybody all of a sudden doesn't just want to throw ads against something. They want to um, facilitate the creators. I'm, I'm curious about what they're thinking in terms of their margins and I guess, you know, it's, it's not, it, it could be a huge margin business because it doesn't cost them a lot, even if they take a five or 10% to just be like, here, we're enabling these payments. Um, what do you think about the idea of in the creator economy, what the good agency take or the, the, the rake should be for this sort of thing? That's a great question. Um, and there's a lot of debate and I think you're, I think you're absolutely right, but you know, as, as with all things where there's a fee, someone will eventually just lower it, right? So, um, except for Apple. <laughs> except for Apple, that's right. Um, but so I, I do think it's kind of a race to zero in a lot of ways. And and I think that, um, I think 10%, so just as an example, we're building a platform. Part of why I've been looking at these topics, et cetera, is because we are planning to implement tipping. And we're like, what should we charge? We plan to charge 10%, right? Um, now, I think 10% is probably like, the most you'll probably be able to get away with reasonably, right? And and we've been seeing other, I'm hearing lots of other talks of other ways to, to address this. But the main reason I think is that we're seeing ultimately like, much like Chris said earlier, it, in a lot of ways we're moving from an advertising-based universe, right? So the earliest, you know, creator 1.0 days, right? Um, into the creator 2.0 days to like now where creators are like, wait, I can be, I am a business or I want to be a business or I want to be an enterprise, and I think like part of that, the, the trend line there then is that there is a lot, you know, your upfront costs are very high to get into the creator space or they used to be, and they're coming down now, right? But the software stack and the business stack and the tool stack to support you starting to emulate and resemble the normal space of all business tools, right? Like you got the enterprise, mid-market, you know, SMB, and, and the creator set is really a specialized use case or maybe a a superset of even the SMB space. There may be more uh, creator businesses than there are SMBs actually, right? And so they have their own unique tooling requirements. And now I believe because they are starting to be able to monetize in meaningful ways, a SaaS fee is not like such a crazy idea to a creator anymore, right? Like, and I would argue like in the past, it was, it was highly performative. Uh, and in a lot of ways, brands like totally screwed up the business because they overpaid for like without really holding creators accountable to the normal standards that traditional media companies got. And so that's why we saw these inflated rates. Um, and that, cre that created that cliff, I think. And so now we're starting to see where I think creators saying like, I'm going to be in business. Well, guess what? If I'm in business, there's a bunch of tools I need to buy. I'd like those tools to all be X or Y or Z price, you know, and, and then you'll have tiers inside of the tooling to service people over time. And I think like when you look at different models that are emerging, it tends to be a take rate oriented business or a SaaS oriented business. And we're seeing take rates come down. And I think for that, as that happens, you likely have to see more, either more SaaS fees or more creativity around the take rate itself for, for companies to build successful businesses on top of the creator universe. Okay, I want to hear from Nigel one more time uh, before we open up uh, for for more 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 voices. Um, Nigel, specifically, like this this is this sort of uh, Greg's previous comments kind of I think fit into your world a little bit more, given that you are building one of these platforms. You've been doing it for quite a while. You've been doing it largely off of just uh, I guess donations. I know now you I think. I think you might take, you don't take 5%, but you allow the creator to then, I think, donate a portion of the proceeds that they receive to your business. And then you also have 
gold, which I guess is sort of like the SaaS version yeah. of, of what you're offering. So do you want to speak a little bit yeah, more yeah. about how that works out for you? Sure, sure. Like, um, 10 years ago, when, when I first put this thing together, it was really important for me not to take any, any fees or any additional fees. Um, I really wanted it to be a relationship between the, the supporter and the creator and not to, not to be in the middle of that relationship. Um, as things have moved on, we still have that. Uh, you can come and use the site. You can get tips, 0% fees from us, use most of our features. Um, the way that we bootstrapped originally was we had our own page where people could tip us as the platform. Um, that that kind of got us going so we could give up our jobs. And uh, um, I got a co-founder on board. And um, But then we moved into this more like a, a SaaS model, um, which people are happy to pay for if they require those additional tools to kind of make a business out of this. Um, so, so exactly as, as Greg said, uh, really. And, and one of the things also that I've noticed, and I think you're becoming a little bit more competitive with Gumroad. And the reason why I want to ask about this is, you know, on the one hand, there are people who just sort of, you know, are present characters, I guess, on the internet, uh, you know, Mr. Beast and those types. Um, but then there's also folks who are, are doing di like digital deliverables and, you know, pay for transactional type of goods. So this sure. fits into sort of like the Hunter Walk kind of multi-skew creator paradigm, which seems to be, you know, exploding now. And I would just love to understand whether or not you've been moving in that direction as a result of requests from your current users, or if you see that that's where the market's going. And so therefore you want to meet the market where it may be. Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, people were, were you, we just looked at how people were using the service. And I think Greg, Greg made a great point in, in his thread about tipping being a gateway to then right. more ways of monetizing that audience, right? It's like a filter. These are your top fans. These are your top supporters. You most engaged supporters. Okay, what else would they maybe purchase from me? How else would they support me on a, on a long term? It's kind of an easy way in. Um, and But we, we're looking at how people were using it and I kind of... Uh, I kind of want to beat Chris to it here with uh, to, to try and coin a phrase of, of, uh, of ca casual commerce. Ah, um, it's it's kind of um, it's kind of what we've been seeing over the last few years is that this idea of a, a low pressure transaction that, like that. that's you know been, been mostly around the tip, but it's and it's low pressure from the supporter and the creator side. It's like hey, tip me if you if you if you want to, and in return I'll draw you something or you, I'll. You can download a, an iPhone wallpaper, or you know, you'll do a service, or, you know, a small service. But it's very, very low pressure. It's not like, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to start an Etsy, or I'm going to um, start, you know, um, my own Shopify or something like that. It's like, hey, I've I've got this skill. I want to sell something. You want to tip me, and I'll give you something. So it's a little bit. It's kind of the opposite way around to the way that you're using it, Chris, mm -hmm. which is very much like a tip after the event. Right. This is kind of a um, so it's like a pay for service, or sort of a like it's like a bid. It's like a request. Like yeah, a it's like request. it's like a, a, a very soft request, and it, and it's kind of like there's no kind of like uh, strict deliverable, perhaps. Um, well, most most have to be done in real time, right? So right because like they, they're not even on for yeah, most of the tools. They could be passing not through or whatever. Yeah. Sure, and you, you mentioned Gumroad there. Um, yeah, I think we're qu quite different in that we are still. You know, the, the people know us for tips, and that's we are uh, we are predominantly a, a donation platform. But people want to sell things without having to set up another website. Um, right. So, so yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think there's just a plur- plur- pl- proliferation of tools. <laughs> sure, sure. I think Gumroad would probably come in at the other angle. Gum- Gumroad's known for being a shop and they've added tips. Right. So it's right. kind of their, their, the other way around, I guess. Yeah. I want to make, okay. I want to make two more observations and then we'll open it up. First is just that one of the ways in which Facebook first got a lot of credit cards um, from its user base was through fundraisers. So fundraisers was a very kind of kind of aligned way for Facebook to say, oh, we're supporting communities. Oh, we're like helping people out. Like, oh, people want to raise money, you know, through groups or whatever. And it just so happens that that was a great way for them to actually experiment and explore commerce on the platform and to kind of butter people up to being more comfortable engaging in e-commerce. So I, I do think that the tipping thing is a very, as you said, sort of it's casual commerce, which now allows for many, many more people to engage in that behavior, which then hopefully will help them open up their wallets in much larger transactional ways. So I think it's important to just keep that in mind in terms of behavior modification that's happening. The other thing that I, that I think is very, very interesting on the Twitter side in particular is the way in which they've implemented tips so far is largely through uh, partnerships. Well, I would say they're very lightweight partnerships and, and, and engagements with third-party payment providers, You know, whether it's Cash App or Patreon or Bandcamp or whatever. They're largely just links that then link off to the third-party platform, and the transaction happens elsewhere. Now, I don't know if that's because, you know, Jack is the the CEO of Square and so he's got all the financial information he already needs. But previously, I would have thought, just like Clubhouse has done, that they would have been much more interested in capturing that user, capturing that relationship and gaining the payment credentials and rails so they could then open up other payment services, whether it's subscriptions, uh, which I I discovered today, it's going to be called Twitter Blue. That's the new premium Twitter service. Um, Mm. Or or whatever. So I think those things are also in play here. Okay, so I'm going to reset, and then we're going to open up the room. Um, so today, uh, we are talking about social tipping um, for the Tech Meme Ride Home experience. We've got Greg up here, we've got Nigel up here, and of course, myself, Chris, and Brian. Um, I'm going to first go to... Uh, Risha, who has been very, very patient, um, she had a question or a comment very early on. Let's get her up here and see what she has to say. Hey, everybody. Um, Yeah, you know what? I have been um, sitting here just dying because there were so (laughs) many things that you guys touched on that I wanted to chime in on. Please go off. (laughs) um, So, yes, I I feel like I have quite a bit of um, knowledge on this topic. I've been in a content creation space for just under five years now, and I left, you know, well, I'm still on YouTube, but I have a monetized channel there, so I know a lot about the, the Super Chat and all that good stuff over there. But now... Um, as a power user of the, uh, the, the, the spaces and having been here, uh, in the beta test since day one, we do have the tip jar. Many of us like myself, Mr. Dre, um, ton of others of us. So we've been just like very anxious to see all the different ways that monetization will be rolled out to us. So this was the first thing that we got access to, you know, obviously ticketing is on the way as well, but, um, For me, uh, there was one point you guys mentioned about uh, the behaviors. Now, I have to say, I have surely seen changed behaviors. It was funny. The day that the tip jar rolled out, my fleet's bar was lit, okay? It was full of people who had blown the dust off of their space. (laughs) And I'm like... What were the messages? What were they posting? They were just opening their space in hopes that people would tip them. Ah, uh uh-huh. Yep. 
people who, now, you know, t- tips are available anytime though, right, Risha? Yes, they're always available. Yes. So, um, in case you want to test it out, mine is open right now. Um, mine doesn't close. <laughs> <laughs> so that first day it was cool. It's only been probably less than a week now, but um, I did receive multiple tips and it was really cool because a lot of people, they felt like we should have been getting, you know, uh, some type of appreciation monetarily. So they were generous and I appreciate that tremendously. But uh, yeah, you can use it at any time. Um, it's just like Chris described. There's a uh, Bandcamp, Venmo, Cash App, uh, Patreon, and uh, PayPal. And I only had three accounts set up, but I scrambled to set up the other two because I just want to make it as convenient as possible for all parties. <laughs> and uh, my only... Uh, wish was that there was an integration where we got notified on Twitter when we receive a tip because wherever you have those accounts set up is how you find out so it's hard mm. to thank people properly um, so that's just something worth mentioning but I love it and uh, for some of us creators who work really hard on these platforms we are definitely excited about the prospects because we do give out a lot of information and you know it does add up and so yeah I'm here for all things when it comes to uh compensating creators and encouraging them to keep sharing risha i i i'm curious so we're, we're still in the phase obviously where it's it's sort of new and like hey throw me a tip or, or throw and and so like you know your biggest fans will be doing this now uh at the beginning to be like oh i finally have the chance to do this as a creator do you what do you see six months from now two years, five years from now, because it won't always be like this where it's just like, well, this is new. I've just put my hat down on the floor, so throw me a buck. Like, can you, are, are you thinking as a creator, is there going to be some sort of a transactional thing, some sort of a like, well, we have to be thinking down the road that the next time we're going to ask our audience for money, it's going to be after we do this. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, right Absolutely. now it's still new. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, I, I, I'm definitely... Um, I, I see it the same way you do. There's this novelty right now. And so there's going to be this rush of people. Sometimes people just want the opportunity to test a new feature. I got a, a ton of like test yeah, tips yeah. just because people wanted to click the buttons and right. see how it works. <laughs> but that is why these other avenues of monetization are going to be huge for us. Ticketing for me will be major um, because like myself and Mr. Dre, we put on um, all types of productions here on Spaces, including like game nights and Um, We have a show that we do called Viral Talk where we bring on the author of a viral tweet and we do a deep dive into the background story and like interview the source and all parties involved and all that good stuff. So I would love to be able to, you know, um, put a five or ten dollar cover fee to enter something like that. People love it. They, you know, they enjoy it. It's it's like it's a whole production. So that is going to be a lot more lucrative for creators who are actually creative. Okay. Now, if you really don't have the sauce and you're just faking it, you're not going to last here and you're not going to make very much. But for those of us who come out with unique, fresh ideas, we will be a-okay. So can you, can you talk a little bit about the difference in culture, perhaps between YouTube and YouTube monetization from what you might expect or anticipate on Twitter? And I don't really know your relative usage of the different platforms. I don't know if you're also okay, active sure. on Clubhouse yeah, that's or actually- elsewhere. Yeah. So just a little background on that. So I've been on YouTube just about four years. 
um, clubhouse I've been on since November, I want to say, of 2020. Mm-hmm. And I do have a club there and all of that, but I fell head over heels for Twitter spaces. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that because I'm on Twitter. Um, that is the honest to God truth. Mm-hmm. And so I've been using spaces since December, but then was put in the beta test with that first 300 back in January. Mm-hmm. Um, so my experience with audio apps, I, I have about just about, you know, we'll be pushing a year of like uh, experience on, on audio platforms and such soon but um as far as the differences for me uh and i was just talking i actually was featured in wired today on this very topic it's all about thank you it was about monetization and content creators being paid across the social uh audio platforms and they were making the comparisons to clubhouse and some of the others that are out now um but with youtube i feel like if anything that was more of a busker feel because you you create the content and it's just less interaction than what you can do here on spaces here is much more um because it's more of a dialogue than a monologue Mm. uh i feel like things happen faster and it's less pressure it's more of like that that pleasant surprise you're more delighted like oh okay someone enjoyed that so i i do feel like it's a it is a totally different culture different vibe different feel and that's why i really um enjoy spaces more than anything this has been the place where i'm creating the most content now nice um i i did pin your tweet so if anybody wants to go check out that article um it's there oh well thank you so much i appreciate that chris yeah and, and oh and i've been dying to meet you i think you are so dope and you know the <laughs> dude you. create the hashtag like that right there that's forever forever dope <laughs> mr dre down here is who created the purple dot fun fact oh, and that's well that's we my have that space brother then. yeah you guys uh, it's just yeah I'm surrounded by dope people. So that's all I got on that. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming up and sharing your experience. It's super useful. Um, I do want to make some some room for some other folks. Um, Katan has also requested. Um, so I'm going to bring him up. Um, and then we've got Thomas and Jeffrey. And if anybody else wants to raise their hand, now would be a great time to get in line. Katan, what's and feel up? free to drop me down, Chris. Okay. Oh, sorry. I didn't, the audio cut out for a second. Okay. You're back. Hey, hey, Chris. Hey, Greg. Hey, Risha. Um, you know, it's interesting because I've been on Clubhouse for a while now, and we did an informal uh, poll in a room the other day asking people um, how much they had made from Clubhouse. Mm. Um, you mean through tipping? Through tipping. Yep. And a few people responded they'd made, you know, ancillary amounts like five, ten, twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. And someone came in and said, Oh, I've made I've made nine thousand. I was like through tipping. They're like, no, it was through my cash app. Uh, and oh. And and so to me, I think the problem with a platform having a native infrastructure with tipping um, is it's always going to compete with the payment platforms. And if I don't have to pay a fee to want to send the money, and if the person getting the money receives more of the money, then I think we're, we're going to have, a, you know, like Greg, Greg said, a race to the bottom. But I think at some point, people aren't want, wanting, their, convenience doesn't pay for the friction, right? Like, people will likely say, hey, I'll just pay you the other way. Um, especially if there's a perception that you will see now with Apple and everyone saying, hey, these, these platforms are taking more than they should, right? So my Concern is that tipping is ultimately not a viable method for most creators to make a living off of. And even platforms that are relying on tipping revenue or tipping features to um, have growth, they're going to be competing with networks that have no charges. And that friction 
even after Clubhouse released this feature, that friction is easily surmountable. People are happy, more than happy. If you love your creator enough to give them money, then you love them enough to go into Venmo to go on to uh, Cash App and send them money. And often the account's already saved, so it's pretty easy. So I, I just don't, I don't believe in the viability of tipping. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. As you know, I still run the first company I ever founded 25 years ago entirely on Shopify these days. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow the whole way. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling. Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is that you can take any business to the next level, even 25-year-old ones, but especially 25-day-old ones. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash ride in 2023 just 10 vulnerabilities accounted for over half of the incidents responded to by our sponsors today arctic wolf incident response wouldn't you love to know how to take these vulnerabilities off the table and make life more difficult for cyber criminals That's just one of the essential insights you'll find inside the Arctic Wolf Labs 2024 Threats Report. Authored by their elite team of security researchers, data scientists, and security development engineers, and backed by the data gained from trillions of weekly observations within thousands of unique environments, this report offers expert analysis into attack types, root causes, top vulnerabilities, TTPs, and more. Discover the attack vectors behind nearly half of all successful cybercrimes, why ransom demands climbed 20% from 2023, and find out why 2024 will be an especially volatile year for cybersecurity. Learn more and get your copy now at arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. That's arcticwolf.com forward slash tech meme. Okay, wow. So you said a couple things there that I think are super interesting. Um, one, I think I would, I would sort of just, you know, give my own experience, ag- agree with you. Although, you know, I'm sure that there are, again, some folks that have a very active fan base, maybe they can make, you know, a, a reasonable amount of money. I think I am on the lower end of that threshold for my clubhouse tips. I think I made about a dollar fifty, and, you know, square or whatever. What is it? The other one, what's the big one called? I can't think of it now. Whatever. One yeah. Yeah. Memo. No, no, no. It was the, uh, Stripe. Coffee? Stripe. Oh, Stripe. Stripe. Stripe took, you know, 30% of whatever I made. So anyways, you know, like 80 cents or something, and then the government's going to take the rest. So anyways, I, I agree with you that like tipping in that sense probably is not going to be super lucrative. I do wonder though, again, if it's not the point about providing creators with a, like a sufficient income where it's essentially giving people a different way of communicating you know, that's different than just the like or the retweet or something like it actually kind of takes something out of your own resources, your own calorie store to then say, I, I like what you did. Like that was really positive. And maybe that leads to more positive pro-social interactions. And I have no idea if that's true or not. I'm sure people will reward negative 
antisocial behaviors as well. But I do think that it is interesting just in terms of the interaction that it will create. The other thing that you said that was super interesting to me from a product design perspective, and that I think is super savvy to observe, is the degree to which whether native built-in payments into these platforms that are not banks and are not payment platforms will ever be able to compete with the outside kind of convenience and familiarity with dedicated apps like Venmo or Cash App. I mean, your anecdote, I think, is so good that like people on, especially on a place like Clubhouse, are in conversation with each other all the time. And, you know, a creator might set up their tipping function, but then tell everyone in the room, by the way, if you guys like, like what I'm saying or whatever, you know, just go send me, you know, uh, a couple bucks via cash app, you know, and it's this, and there's enough familiarity and awareness of that way of, of, of paying that the fans want to actually get around the platform and get around the rails that were put in place because they understand now through a new type of digital financial literacy that, the money that they will get through other means where there are no fees is actually a more genuine or authentic or meaningful way of showing your support. So that I think is very interesting from a behavior perspective. I think there's two parts there too, Chris, though. Um, so I, that behavior actually exists. If you um, look at the research, gifting subs, for example, what is, is subs? Uh, so if you're in the Twitch universe, okay. gifting subs is actually the preferred way to actually do it because the creator makes more money. And sorry, it actually know. grows so the, I, the community. I complete ignorance. I have no idea what you're talking about. The only thing literally subscription. You know, just like so, oh, okay. you can like gift. You you can gift a month subscription to like Got anyone, it. Got right? It. Okay. And 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 the wise Twitch creators know that, and they sort of like they're you know they they will actively like encourage people like don't send bits, give someone a sub, right? Like yep. Yep. because yep. it moves it from like a dollar purchase to like a five dollar purchase. Yep. Um, but also grows the community and potentially creates someone who stays on the latch for a lot mm. longer, right? Yep. yep. Um, I, but the flip side, I think, which is like the way I think what I think is smart about what Twitter did and like also what's awful about what Clubhouse did, um, right, is like setting up a Stripe account to go through to send money oh my God. in Clubhouse. I mean, it was, it's horrible. It was horrible. It was horrible. It's horrible, right? And I think, you know, you don't need to go around me to get to my Cash App if I can just link to my Cash App like right inside the app, Right. Um, and I, I think that that's the important signal. I don't Twitter is also why saying do that. we don't make. Yeah, Twitter's saying we're not going to make any money on the tips anyway, so it's not even worth it, right? Like microtransactions with the fees, et cetera, chargebacks, all the other stuff. We don't need that risk. So go put your money. If you want a tip, go do it elsewhere. There's an interesting behavioral thing I'm noticing happening on Clubhouse. There's a really popular room. Visited Sani runs it um, called Facial Recognition Comedy, and there's a bunch of comedians doing um, stand-up comedy, and they're all fantastic. And at, at points in the show, someone will tip and they'll say, hey, let's do a shout out. Oh, shout out to Paul. Shout out to Greg. And what's really interesting I'm seeing is as part of the shout out, it's like usually after someone performs, they'll actually kind of do a little bit of a roast on the person tipping. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting as a comedy factor because it it's almost like nagging. Makes, it, yeah, but it, it's almost in this like, thank you for tipping. Let's include you in the show. Right. Yep. Yep. Because think about people. It's the acknowledgement, like, right? It's, a, it's an acknowledgement, but I think if you do too much acknowledgement, then it ruins the pacing of the show. Think of like, if, if you're Yo-Yo Ma and you're performing a class of comedy, you know, <laughs> you're not going to stop and say, hey, thanks, Paul, for tipping. Right. But like in comedy, because of such back and forth and, and, and heckling is so much part of it, I'm, I'm watching this behavior and saying these guys, and it's often guys, are tipping to kind of be involved, which is a, 
there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack there that could be good and bad. Yeah, I think that's totally right, and I, I I think a lot of this does, you know, whether it's in game or there's lots of other contexts, especially where things are live, right? The shout out, the call in, like all of these ways of participating in something that's going on and feeling like again, whether it's you belong in that or you've got something to contribute and you're acknowledged for that, um, it makes it more interactive. It makes it more real, right? I mean, I, that was that was the brilliance of Clubhouse in the early days was that you could get up on stage next to an Elon or I was upstate. I was on stage with, um, oh my god, who's the guy? Thirty seconds to Mars. Um, Anyways, that guy. And you know what I mean? Like you're sort of like rubbing shoulders with folks and it's like totally normal, totally fine. And it, I guess like the tipping piece is, is an interesting way of rising above just, you know, hands raised and to say, oh, look at this bozo. Let's bring him up or something. Yeah. And I do have interactivity on the list actually, because I do, okay. I agree. It is a thing that drives some of this. It's a different type of game, right? Okay. So uh, I'm going to bring up Thomas. Um, Thomas had some interesting comments during our last space. So we'll see what he has to contribute today. And then again, if anybody else wants to um, come up, please feel free to raise your hand. All right, I guess I guess I don't need an introduction. Uh, <laughs> my name is my name is Thomas. Uh, nice to meet you, Nigel and Greg. Uh, big fan, uh, Katan. Uh, I, I can't. I don't have Cash App here in Canada. Uh, and Brian, great to see you, Chris. Mm-hmm. You're the best. I'm actually I'm actually a big fan of you. Um, and what was it, Risha? Uh, I wish you wouldn't uh, say buskers so harshly because uh, buskers are usually very talented people. Uh, I, sa- and- I said busker. I was the one that used that okay, term, yes. Okay, okay. but uh, Catan brought up another great point that connects that uh, is Mozart, right? Uh, these guys are usually instrument players or girls. Uh, guys or girls, Catan. Um, you got to get used to saying that. Anyways, uh, I do tip. I tip a dollar uh, to my pizza guy on a good day. Uh, I also tip on Twitter. And uh, I did send you that screenshot, Chris. Uh, You do. Yep. Okay. Um, Anyways, I just want to get the hashtag pay it forward. You just end end your uh, podcast with hashtag pay it forward, Chris. And uh, that should be all what you have to do. I'm also like, you know, just a Twitter guy. Uh, I like Twitter. I see where we're going, Thomas, right? What, 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 like, do you, what would you like to say about the, the social tipping? I, I want to say that it can work. Okay. It can work because it is working. Uh, I did tip, like just today, uh, the, the Bernie Sanders camera guy uh, breathe, at Breathe New Winds. Uh-huh. Uh, we did a camera thing. So, okay. like, I just take, I take photos with my, my phone, right? Yeah. Uh, but like good photos, it's an iPhone 10, decent, right? Landscape, at least. Are you like 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 making it possible for him to like you know pay his rent or like in that kind of tipping? Like you got no, no, no. money? No, I, or... I just tipped him because I had a good time. Okay. Uh, like we all we had everybody up. Uh, everybody got to like we did this weird exercise where we all turned left and took a, a photo, and then we uh, we all shared it under a hashtag. I know you're going to love this, Chris. Oh, you are please, loving yes. it. Uh-huh. I get paid for uh, every hashtag. Did you know that? No, I don't. Yeah. I don't at all, actually. You, you should. <laughs> um, at least at least 0.0001%. Okay, so your, your uh, point is that basically like tipping you think is going to work it because... Can, it, can, it could work. It could work. Okay. All right. That's that's great. Um, I've, it, I've invited... Can I respond yeah. to something he said? Yeah. Oh. I want to explain the, the gender dynamics I was trying to get into sure. because Twitter, when they rolled out tipping with PayPal, it exposed the possibility that 
you were exposing someone's email address. Yeah. And internet safety obviously is hugely important. And the point I was trying to make about clubhouse dipping is that whether it's male or female performers, um, that often it's men tipping in there because I think you have to look at the background of where this tipping behavior comes from. Like most things, porn and campsites innovated a lot of business models that now main, major SaaS companies and creator economies use. Mm. And th- there is an imbalance sometimes. And we have to be really thinking about safety because what if, someone's in there just tipping you thousands and thousands of dollars, does that mean you have to respond? Right? Does that mean you have to give them a shout-out? Yep. So the, the point I was trying to make is that not that the performers are only one gender, it's that we have to really think about safety when it comes to tipping and access of information. So, okay, I, like, I think this is a very interesting uh, point to bring up uh, for two reasons. You know, One is just there was this blowback about uh, basically like the way that PayPal has always worked has been based on the email address. Whereas, you know, whether it's cash app or uh, Venmo to some degree does have usernames and I think does use the phone number. Um, but PayPal being one of the oldest, obviously was set up around eBay, um, used the email address as the identifier. And so that's the way in which you route money around. And, uh, you know what I mean? Like it's sort of like the identifier was exposed through the transaction because that's the way that PayPal works. And so because Twitter didn't design and build their own payment system that was native to the platform where you could just do a DM, you know, instead of a DM, it would be money. Uh, who's got that buzzing? Okay. Um, essentially, they sort of exposed some user data based on the exposure that was already going to happen on PayPal. Now, I understand if you set up your PayPal, then essentially you may have exposed yourself in a way that you hadn't intended, and that's obviously not great. Um but I do think that it's interesting to see these layers of, and, and I think this was said before, that Twitter kind of handed off the chargebacks and all the sort of whatever may happen that's the secondary effects or the second order effects of the tipping that might happen. So to put this another way, to your point, um, if someone were to do abusive tipping, you know, they've, they've made their, their doge millions and, you know, they've got a bunch of money that they want to throw at someone, um, they could do that. But it's all happening. All the all the abuse basically is happening off platform. Now that's a really interesting way of of pushing that over. And I don't know what the level of coordination might be between Twitter safety, you know, and, and abuse teams, and what's happening on these third party platforms. Or Chris, do you do you get the sense that maybe this is sort of what a lot of these platforms have been like looking for? It's like how do we get out of this sort of. Um, uh, this troll economy where, you know, trolls essentially like, like spam, there's zero marginal cost to trolling. And so it's, it's, it's no longer zero marginal cost. Right. Well, so that's my point is like, are the platform, one of, one of the many reasons maybe platforms are really hot on this is that they're hoping that this will sort of make things more civil because if you, if you have to interact, if the only way you can interact is by, tipping 50 cents or something like maybe for, forget about I, I the roadblocks. I don't know if they know that yet. You know what I mean? Like mm. I, I hear you, but you know, from a product design perspective, I don't think you can predict how people will behave. And I think to Katan's point, you know, if I have a bunch of extra money and I really want this person to get my attention and I just throw money at them and then yeah, it could even be worse. It, it could, could be worse. Right. I, I talked to a number, by the way, of, um, of, uh, live streamers and a, a number of female live streamers. And they actually told me that they stopped live streaming basically because they couldn't deal with, the BS that was coming out of the commenters 
And, you know, so I think um, money is one kind of now, you know, barrier to the, the tipping and everything, or is that, well, no, I, I guess um, it was, it, so you have this uncontrolled fire hose, right? And yeah, so, right. Um, so the, the dollar thing, like, you know, for, for example, like again, in Twitch and this modality, I, just, I think just continues to spread, but only followers or even Twitter has only like people I follow can reply, right? These types of controls are starting I think to make their way in to manage some right. of the problems that we're that's talking kind about. of that's kind of what I'm suggesting. Maybe people are are hoping will happen if you attach money to this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just, it is. A, it's, it's it's early. It's a meaningful friction, though. I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to get. Well, this. go ahead. Certainly, I mean, Risha was talking about ticketing. I mean, that could be a, a barrier, right? If you charge everyone to enter your event. You're going to cut out many of the strolls, maybe not all of them, but many of them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. We just don't know, right? We we don't know one who has money, who's willing to spend that money, and what type of interactions they're looking to expect. And one of the things that I would just point out, maybe in this context, is because we haven't been socialized effectively around money, we don't necessarily know what it means. Like money means different things to different people who have different amounts of it. And so, someone who gives a five dollar tip may expect immediate you know, response and a DM and all sorts of attention. Whereas for someone, you know, for whom $5 is, you know, like whatever you, you throw it away or whatever, it's like not a big deal. They don't have that same level of expectation of, of a response. So the, the subjective value of money can distort things based on, again, the very broad gamut of humanity that exists on, on the internet. So well, th- this is an open call from me to any journalist listening that if anyone wants to reach out to OnlyFans folks, because again, yeah, yeah. it seems like they're on the cutting edge of this. I'd, I'd love someone to do a deep dive talking to OnlyFans creators to see, is the money, does it, does it multiply the grossness or does it uh, sort of... Uh, shave down the grossness in terms of like the uh, trolling, uh, uh, fans being gross, what, whatever, you know, that, Actually, I'd be Lee, curious Lee about Jin did a great, um, interview with, um, one of the top folks on OnlyFans. And if you, if you do search for it, you'll find it. Um, it's, 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 um, I'm losing it right now, but she was very transparent, very open and had a lot of things to say about it. So there is, there is some information out there. Um, I've invited a few folks up to speak. Uh, they might be busy. We'll see. Um, Oh, Mr. Dre, you are up here. Randy, you're back. Welcome back. Um, if you guys want to jump in, share share your experience with this stuff, that'd be great. Thank you, Chris. Um, this is actually a very interesting topic because my startup is creating a monetization system for podcasters. Mm. So it's uh, it's very interesting to see the transition. I guess my, my question is, do you think that there's going to be a a hybrid of tipping and advertisements for creators, or do you think one's going to try to focus on more, you know, organic streams of monetization or, you know, what do you think that system is going to look like? Well, I mean, I think, I don't know if it matters so much what I think, but it seems like hybrids are going to be necessary in order to make the economics work. And and Brian, maybe, maybe you want to speak to your experience given what you're doing with podcasting. Well, but also I, I've, I've wanted to jump in here about this a little bit is like, it's not so much, we're talking about it from the creator side, but I'm so curious about the platform side. And again, I've mentioned margins before. Um, like, you know, I, I, I suppose 
I suppose that allowing creators to make money and just um, you know taking a, a rake from that could have better margins than just advertising. Um, I I I think that the the truth is is that like. Uh, you know, as I always talk about on the show, like um, throwing ads against everything has a natural limit. You can only put so many ads against a YouTube video or into search and stuff. So maybe all we're seeing is the platforms need to find some other way to to monetize in the same way that, you know, Apple had to move into services. Um, But I think that, right, like this is the point is that it's gotta be, it can't just be one thing. It would be interesting if there was like a platform that was like we're only doing tips, I don't think that that would ever be the case. Wait, so, so, but I want to I want to like turn this around on you a little bit, right? Yeah. Because currently yeah. you don't make, as far as I know, you could tell me otherwise, but that you don't sure. make money through tipping, and so you make your money through selling ads on yeah. you know your podcast inventory. So I'm just curious, like you know how you see this emerging and whether or not you would change your behavior to, you know, do more, let's say shows like this, where tipping is a possibility, um, and to prioritize that given your mix. At least I think that's uh, sort of what Randy's getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So to, uh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, like, uh, putting ads against stuff is too easy for me and too lucrative right now. It's, it's the lowest hanging fruit. <laughs> Great. It perfect. just is. No, sure. as, as, as perfect. Chris, you and I have discussed yes. that length off air. Um, and so almost doing the subscription like community thing is harder. Um, I know other people and don't get me wrong. There are podcasters that have way more success, um, doing the subscription and the community thing than I have. Um, but it, 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 it's, I think that when like Legion and people like that are are talking about the creator thing, it it is that sort of, um, multi-skew business. Um, uh, that I think Hunter Walk yeah. talks about too, yeah. where it's like, yeah, uh, the creators want to do everything. You want to, you want to sell T-shirts. You want to have live events. You want to have whatever. So I think that that's also the point. Is that again, if all of these platforms want to just get off of the just putting ads against things, they they want to they want to be a platform to facilitate all these things. I guess someone's going to buy Teespring at point. You know, like just the the ability to the ability to facilitate this sort of um, this sort of economic activity that they don't have to gin up themselves has to be super super um, attractive to to any platform that's that's mature, especially. Uh, I was just going to say though, I think like the average creator, individual creator, actually, I think they have like five or six active revenue sources. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I do think Brian to your, like, and, and for uh, Chris pointed this out earlier, it's impossible to c- become large <laughs> right now. Right. Like uh, there's very few platforms that it's a, that is quick to grow in. Right. Like, because there are such built-in advantages for on the larger side the ecosystem and advertisers don't want to, don't actually want to target, you know, um, 5,000 individuals to try to, you know, spread their ads out. They'd rather go to like a few large places. So I think these, and by the way, some of the value prop for some people is that there are no ads, right? Like, you know, a, a lot of people on Substack have, have switched off of something else yeah. because they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to produce over here. So you never have to see an ad, right? Or I'm going to do a podcast and or I have a premium podcast now. And there's a private stream that doesn't have ads, but also has maybe some follow-up or extra material, et cetera. It's a so, funny thought that like tipping yeah. in a way or direct monetization is kind of a sort of social ad block, you know? 
or at least it could be in the sense that yeah, for sure. I want to consume your content and I'm so sick of your advertising content and it just kind of gets in the way. Can I just give you some money instead? Now, granted, you have to aggregate enough demand that that actually works, but <laughs> uh, I think that it, that is sort of interesting. I do want to bring out Mr. Dre, um, who's been waiting patiently and giving us lots of hundos um, in his e- emotes. What, I got to gotta imagine, you know, you are one of these multi-skew creators. Uh, in a way, in okay, a way, not. I'm not, as, <laughs> I'm not definitely not as talented as, uh, my friend Risha, but, um, I, I really think with these platforms, the tipping jars, I think it's pretty much like a, a bare minimum. Um, mm. and it's not really, I, I don't think it's a, like a, a, a net trap to like bring creators to your platform. I think it's like the bare minimum that these platforms can do. Can you, I want uh, to unpack that a little bit because I think like I, I feel that as being intuitively true, but it feels from my older man brain, like unintuitively true or false. And what I mean by that is this is the generational divide that I was describing where I have kind of one foot in both generations. And I, I if I were to like pick a platform now, to spend my time on, I'd be like, well, one where I could possibly have some sort of monetization opportunity if for some reason I blow up, you know, because I don't know, I, I heard this guy today who is, he's, I think he's in Dubai or someplace. And he like, like it blew up during the pandemic because he cooks on TikTok, but he sounds like Thor and you just can't predict that. You know what I mean? So you kind of want to be pl- like, now he's screwed because he's on TikTok and you know, there's no way right. tipping there. But anyways, continue. No, no, I, I, and I completely agree. I think it's like the equivalent of you go to a restaurant and you, you're provi- providing good service and you get a receipt um, for your, your service. And then the patron has to decide to tip you. Um, but on the receipt, there's no line that says tip. Um, something as little as just having the line tip and then suggested gratuity probably makes it more likely for the person delivering that service to get a tip. Um, like, I don't know who mentioned it earlier on clubhouse. You could have, have always, uh, you know, put your cash app in your bio and, and, and mentioned it. And I don't know how hard it is to open your cash app and, and copy and paste the person's cash tag, um, and send them money directly, uh, and avoid any, any like, uh, money being taken from the creator. I think, uh, Twitter adding that that feature, just the fact that you can just push one button probably makes it more likely. And like I said, it's, I think it's bare minimum. I'm also like Risha, very interested in seeing how it is when you uh, take away the access and make people pay for access with ticketed spaces. And when super follows rolls that rolls out, right. how that looks in regards to like newsletters and, and live content and things like that. Lumen is the world's first handheld metabolic coach. It's a device that measures your metabolism through your breath. And on the app, it lets you know if you're burning fat or carbs and gives you tailored guidance to improve your nutrition, workouts, sleep, and even stress management. All you have to do is breathe into your Lumen first thing in the morning, and you'll know what's going on with your metabolism, whether you're burning mostly fats or carbs. Then, Lumen gives you a personalized nutrition plan for that day based on your measurements. You can also breathe into it before and after workouts and meals so you know exactly what's going on in your body in real time, and Lumen will give you tips to keep you on top of your health game. 
My wife and I are currently on parallel get healthier, get thinner regimens and have found Lumen incredibly useful as a guide because your metabolism is at the center of everything your body does. Optimal metabolic health translates into a bunch of benefits, including easier weight management, improved energy levels, better fitness results, better sleep, etc. So if you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use RIDE to get $100 off your Lumen. That's L-U-M-E-N dot M-E and use RIDE at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. I'm going to a big AI startup demo day here in the city tomorrow, and I will 100% be decked out in Mack Weldon clothing. Why? Well, Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes, but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their Airnet underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak polo. That's my personal fave. And ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their Silver Crewneck t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. So, to, so, so just tell us a little bit more about your own use of social media and, and platforms. Were you, are you a recent sort of, uh, I guess, comer to Twitter or, or did you have your following on YouTube before, et cetera? What, what, what is your background in that sense? Um, well, I'm just pretty much a, a, a regular user. Uh, I didn't use it profe- professionally. I used it more for news purposes, staying in touch with friends. So when you say uh, it, you mean Twitter? Yeah, Twitter. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, yep. For the most part, I don't really use any other platforms uh, too much. But as spaces rolled out and we started having in-depth conversations, just found more more people gravitating to me and the topics that we talk about. And, you know, when the tip jar came out, like Risha, I got a, a bunch of people that appreciated having conversations with me over the past couple of months, sending mm-hmm. me tips as well. And at now, like DMing me and requesting that I host conversations huh. and curate conversations over spaces. So, huh. and has has what what does it what does it feel like to to receive those tips? And does it feel like it engenders you to the Twitter like to Twitter as a platform that you want to actually kind of come back on? And I'm not saying that you're doing it because of the tips, but I'm just trying to get a sense for as you know someone who used Twitter in one way before. Clearly, this may be you know changing your perception of how you use the platform now. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I was telling Risha the other day in regards to this, there are a lot of conversations that can take place online in a, in a fireside chat memo or like a format or like a, a seminar format that just for whatever reason, it doesn't take place on Twitter. But Twitter does have the built in uh, um, bones. It, d- it definitely has the built in audience that if it is possible to monetize on this platform and the discoverability and the the shareability of the conversations to monetize is uh, readily available, I think you're going to see a lot more people um, creating content. And I don't think it's going to be in the way that it has typically been on Twitter. Like 
uh, like I'm an investment professional. I would never have a conversation on on Twitter uh, unless, let's say, I was able to have a closed room and have a closed space and have uh, some kind of vetting process between who was able to join the conversation. Um, so I would never think of having that conversation on Twitter uh, two years ago, but now like it, it, it's an option, and, and I'm excited to see what that looks like. Huh. That's yeah. That's super interesting. And w- if you were to describe this feature, the, the 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 tip jar and how it works and how you think about it to someone who is like not a very active Twitterer, you know, maybe maybe this was you two years ago, or maybe it's some of your friends. Um, what is it that you would say to them to help them understand what it's all about? Uh, well, I, I think uh, a lot of people on a smaller scale understand in the everyday economy what it's like to provide value to one person let's say like brick and mortar and that person give you uh money based off the value you provide to them whether it's laugh whether it's information whether it's entertainment um i would say you come on twitter there are I don't know how many active daily users now every day you have the opportunity to be exposed to more and more people um just the other day, Risha, who almost never used Twitter before Spaces came on, she just went viral for the first time and she didn't understand how so many people, I think it was like 20,000 to 30,000 or 40,000 people that were uh, messaging her and retweeting and, and liking her tweets. Um, and then she actually got some tips from the tip jar, just people appreciating mm. her content. Mm. So like you said, it it's like lightning in a bottle sometimes. Yeah. Um, but just being able to scale that fast based on the value that you provide, that's just an opportunity. I don't know. Um, that has been out there before on any platform other than like, let's say only fans, <laughs> right. but even the discoverability of only fans is exponentially, um, multiplied on Twitter. You see people grow yep. their only fans yep. uh, content on Twitter and yep. Patreon, uh, uh, accounts on Twitter. So they're using the virality and the serendipity of coming across content that you would like to see uh, on Twitter, on other platforms. So, but see, that's uh, interesting. Weirdly, that's sort of the, the internet that a lot of us always hoped would have, hope would, would come to pass. Like, I, it, forgive me if I said this on this show, I can't remember, but I said it recently to <laughs> someone. <might> <laughs> um, about how um, you know Tim Berners-Lee always claimed that he was going to put a micro payment thing into the web. He also claimed there were going to be backlinks too, and he never got around to that. But um, so it, what, what you're describing is, you know, she goes viral and people just appreciate it. <laughs> like that's kind of what we all kind of hoped. That yeah, but the, at the same time, I think we were also really like worried about perverse incentives. And so that's the thing that the, the fissure that I'm most interested to see from a cultural perspective, if there's a younger generation that grows up where tipping and moving outside of the normal kind of financial apparatus, you know, is, is normal where they look at like what happened with the housing crisis and all those things. And they're like the institution system for financialization is fucked and it fucks over people. And so if we're able to support one another directly through you know, monetization tips through subscriptions and whatnot, that is a much kind of, I don't know, flatter internet in a way. Right. And so I, I, I agree with you, Brian, on the one hand, uh, that, having those micropayments in the beginning was the way that we thought that we might actually uh, compensate great writing, great content. 
But then we went through this wave where Google was the intermediary that was, you know, being gamed by all these content farms, you know, where it no longer made sense to do tipping. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now identity and personhood on the web is the, the way through which you connect. And because there's so many more live spaces, whether it's, you know, IG live or whether it's Twitter spaces or clubhouse, you get a sense that there's an actual person on the other end that is creating and composing content. And we needed to go through that shift to be able to recognize that it's no longer just sort of like this, you know, bot farm that's producing links on the web, but there are people behind it. So in some ways I feel like we had to go through that. I don't know that, that, that sort of process to come out the other end and to yeah. build up the antibodies and, against those types of distortions. And there's I, a, I, I'm sorry, go ahead, Ken. I think there's an unexpected downside to potentially if this was built in from the web from the beginning. So there's an article that just got posted just a few hours ago uh-huh. where they found Joe Biden's Venmo. Oh, and, interesting. And they, they were able to track all his grandkids, all his friends, and all contacts that he had on Venmo. Wow. Oh, they've in, a, in now, a bad way, I see. In a bad way. And they've now since... The White House accounts for Biden and his wife have now been deleted. All the friends have been deleted from Venmo. But I think is that because the web, all the activities on there were public? They were they were private. I mean, this happened to Matt Getz too. So you know, it's like politicians. Come on, guys. Like you know, right? Yeah, the, I think the transactions were private, but the connections to one another were public or ah, something. Interesting, right? Yep. But okay. I think the the question I'm trying to get to is that if there are actors, bad actors, they're going to find ways to exploit things that we didn't estimate. So if the web from the beginning had had microtransactions or had some way of tracking those transactions, this is, this is where we come into problems with, with any kind of financial traction or social networks is like, do I want everyone to know everything? And I think Tim Berners-Lee from the beginning was a web, it was an open web, right? That's what he was always espousing. Yeah. And, and payments by its nature is probably more private. Right. And who you're willing to pay. But payments followed that model, right, of the open web. Right. It was like, hey, everything. Who was that? Didn't Phil Kaplan have like one of those things where you could see every transaction like that someone posted? I forgot what the name of the company was. That's right. That's right. And there was like a receipt thing. And I mean, so there, there, it's interesting uh, because Katana, I think you're, you're totally right in what you're pointing out. But what I would say is, is also that there's a lot of pendulum swings in the opposite direction based on whatever the pressures or structures are that exist at the time. So if Tim Berners-Lee is trying to create the open web, it's an opposition to a closed, privatized, ActiveX, Microsoft-controlled, you know, proprietary platform, right? And so the, the financialization that's happening now is also in opposition to a sort of cloistered, private, you know, why don't we just make this all open? Like, why don't we let everyone see? And there are going to be downsides. But the alternative, the opposite, the status quo seems to be one that feels either corrupt or just working against individuals. And especially in a case where those of us who have been publishing on these platforms for years haven't received a dime necessarily for our contributions unless we've gone the influencer route and we've, you know, sold out a bit. Um, and so now there's actually like a shift that's happening where there is some remuneration that's coming as a result of participating and creating, you know, positive content. But there will always be those that want to exploit it. And I guess I am watching these things, but but also I'm hopeful that there's a new culture that's also coming with these new features. Yeah, Chris, actually, the other pendulum you identify, though, is actually the that switch from any time sort of asynchronous content to synchronous real-time content. And part of it is the distance we feel like emotionally to yep. the content creator, right? Yep. Like, so we're swinging back to more personalized yep. experience-based things as opposed to static 
publish things, right? And, and they're, well, and they're playing off each other. are becoming too slow. They're not interactive. I was thinking about this actually in terms of these types of conversations. There was a great um, comment. Oh God, it was on a podcast I listened to. I tweeted about it, um, about how the early days of blogging, oh, it was, um, I think it was slow burn and it was something about the Iraq war anyways, but like in, in the early aughts, um, when people were first getting blogging for the first time, you know, the institutional news agencies were publishing information, but they weren't revealing their sources. They were like so close to the, the, the Bush administration. And so there was a distrust. And so the bloggers came out and they said, no, we're going to like publish as fast as we can. And that's where Vox came from and a bunch of other platforms like blogger that got, they got their start. And there was this immediacy. There was seeing people as humans and having them publish, you know, in a very human way. And what these types of social audio spaces allow us to do is to come back to a less polished, a less influencer kind of, you know, over stylized, I don't know, type of content to one where there feels like there's a sense of resonance. And that's worth, I think, paying for. All right. So we're going to wrap up real, real quick here, but I brought uh, my friend Tina up. Tina, it's great to see you again. Uh, what would you like to contribute? Oh, sorry, just getting used to this. Hi, hey. uh, everyone. Thank you, Chris. Mm -hmm. um, it's just very interesting hearing your comments that you just made about uh, celebrity versus content and context and quality, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the theme of everything, which I think a lot of media, um, I, I actually had my own multimedia platform uh, 2013 to 2016. And I could say the hardest thing is juggling objectivity if you're going to be a news outlet and um, how you're going to take in the advertising dollars and how that gets to be pretty. Oh, what happened? Did we lose her? Has problems with this where oh, and you kind of um, turn into a whole different uh, sort of non-objectives somewhat tied to uh, becoming almost like a billionaire for these entities and you can't tell the truth anymore. And all of a sudden, are you actually being a news outlet or are you being, um, you know, uh, advert or advertorial content? So that's kind of interesting. And I also just wanted to add that in 2014, there was change tip, which was a, of course, it was a crypto uh, Dogecoin tipping <laughs> bot. <laughs> and I have to bring that up because for some reason, it didn't really come up earlier. And, you know, as it, it's coming up to be uh, on point again, and it's funny to hear the same exact comments uh, circulating about changing tipping behavior and whether or not content and creators will ever get their due. But I think they really should if we want quality media to ever survive. Totally. Yeah, well, that's, I, a, that's a great I've point. Been, I, I was thinking this whole conversation actually about crypto, and I feel like... Me too. Given, given how little crypto has come up, um, kind of points to the, I wouldn't say crypto has missed the boat, but it's it's almost like it's missing the moment here of the the, the tipping moment. Well, I mean, and I'm Doge actually if, was, was the group prominent on Reddit for tipping, so it's right. That was right, the whole right. that was the whole but, but, use case for it at the beginning. Right. Yeah, but it goes back to this question, I think, of usability and access and ease. And crypto is still in that weird space where you know it's very different. I think if I give someone money through Cash App. And it's liquidity and their ability to like, you know, go, you know, buy something immediately versus the sort of multiple layers that you have to go to like receive crypto and then liquidate it. And it's not impossible. I just think it's, it's a heavier lift than what a lot yeah, of people are So the combos are converged. Of, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. I, mean, I was just saying that the, there's a lot of conversation of Web3 yeah. kind of very commingled in this, yeah. in this sort of arena as well, though. 
but it's definitely not in the tipping part because uh, it's too complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it would be around the, the fees, but liquidity is probably the, the bigger answer here for sure. It's just it's it's friction, right? As is is one of the ways in which you measure, you know, the utility of something. And it, it still seems like unless you're really in the crypto world, like I'm trying to just imagine kind of like newcomers that are just learning Twitter and then also trying to get them into like the crypto space and like, oh my god, like they are just targets or would be targets for exploitation in a way that Yeah, it doesn't help that if you tell the crypto people that the UX or the UI is terrible that they, they <laughs> try to run you over with the truck. <laughs> well, some of the very things that make crypto powerful and preserve privacy are the very things that makes it harder. So it's it's that tension that you have to be willing to accept. And I think for a lot of folks it's it's not quite there yet. But okay. Um, Brian, any any last thoughts before we, we wrap up? This has been great. Yes, two. Oh, by the way, it has been great. So I want to say thank you to everyone that's contributed. Uh, two last thoughts, which are uh, I keep hearing people talk about specifically uh, the Jack connection mm. to what Twitter has been doing and the fact that, you know, we keep mentioning Square yeah. and the Cash App and the frictionlessness of it. And I keep hearing people say, watch this space, watch this space, watch this space. <laughs> if there's any platform, I know they're separate companies, but they're run by the same dude. If there's any platform that can make this sort of frictionless, it might be Twitter. Um, the second thing, uh, we keep talking about this creative or creator economy stuff. Um, uh, Packy McCormick's uh, Not Boring Newsletter. Uh, I, I recommend everyone, uh, and Chris can put it in the notes, um, his The Great Online Game was uh, I think his free one of his yes. free newsletters yes. this week. Um, the thing that I keep coming back to <laughs> is, and he's actually he he's quoting somebody, uh, Nick Milanovic or Milanovic, as I've learned because if it's V I C, um, it's Vich. Um, th- this idea of what we're talking about when we're talking about the creative creator economy is sometimes it's weird to remember that we're all effectively competing to hit the right keys on our keyboard in the right order. And if we do it for long enough, we can buy a house. <laughs> and I, that's the best summation of the creator economy <laughs> in a way. And I know that that's reductive, but it's also, but also highly uh, accurate. Kind of true. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> all right, guys, this has been the tech meme ride home experience. Thank you once again for joining us today. This is super fun. Uh, we went super deep on social tipping which I think is great. Uh, there's a lot for us still to learn. I'm sure this year is going to be full of all sorts of interesting, um, I don't know, learnings and discoveries. But uh, for now, um, Brian, where, where can people find this? Uh, is it still tech.supertech.com or supercast.com? What is it? What, for to listen to the show? Yeah, yeah, to get the download. Uh, no, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow it will be live on the Tech Meme Ride Home feed, which is free ah, everywhere. Right. Just you. search search it, your podcast app for Ride Home or the Tech Meme Ride Home, um, and it will be free with ads. If you want to pay, Chris is, is mentioning. <laughs> he, Chris, Chris is... I'm a better salesman my, like than my, you are. You're my agent. Yes, there's also, you can pay to have uh, an ad-free <laughs> feed and and a bonus episodes can, and stuff but yeah just search right your, home you can tip me for being your agent someday. that's right 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 okay well anyways now you guys know where to find it follow us um and yeah we'll be here uh sometime soon again thanks all awesome thanks Bye-bye. everyone thank you thank you thank you